everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Purpose Podcast. My name is Ray Trevino, and I am your host. Each week, we will explore the essential elements of living a fulfilling, balanced, and meaningful life. Our podcast brings together entrepreneurs, business executives, coaches, and everyday people like you and me who have seen challenges and have overcome adversities to create success and find balance in their lives. Whether you're a young professional seeking to make an impact in your career, a parent looking to balance work and family life, or a retiree seeking to create a new purpose, our podcast is something for everyone. So join us as we delve into the world of living a balanced and purposeful life and discover how you can create a life of balance and purpose for yourself. Today's guest is the co-founder of Here Brotherhood Company, whose mission is to forge a global brotherhood of support and growth. I'd like to welcome Michael Allen to our show. Michael, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thank you. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing awesome. We're doing awesome. It's so great to have you on the show. Would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and throw in a fun fact that most people don't know about you? Mm, fun. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Mike. I, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I've lived in New York and San Francisco uh, area, and I'm back in Utah after a few years away just for my career that, that took me to some pretty cool places over the years. Uh, fun fact, uh, let's say I've been skydiving twice and I swam with sharks in Hawaii. Like th- Those were some fun adventures. <laughs> That's amazing. What part of Hawaii were you in? Uh, we were at the North shore of Oahu where we did that, the, the shark swim and we actually saw a tiger shark, which evidently is somewhat rare and kind of scary. It was awesome though. <laughs> That's terrifying. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. A tiger shark is probably someone I wouldn't want to swim with. Yeah, wow. And, and so you are the co-founder of here brotherhood. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the organization and, and all that it does? Yeah, absolutely. So the Here Brotherhood, uh, we are only about, we're not even a year old officially. So we, we launched uh, some of the beginning conversations about the movement happened about a year ago. Um, but by the time we launched the brand, it was um, April of last year. And then we launched the online community a couple months after that. Um, but it's, yeah, the mission is about reconnecting men, challenging some of the stigmas that are out there around men's mental, emotional, social wellness. Uh, It's really about creating a safe space where we can be more open and real and vulnerable and support each other and help each other in our personal growth and development, as well as other aspects of our lives. Um, So, and the way we do that is a lot of different ways. We've got a digital space, like a, like a social platform where people can get on and, and talk and share and connect with each other. Um, and there's all kinds of things we do on that platform to help with our uh, growth and development. We do some meditation sessions. We do some group meetings with people all over the globe. It's actually really cool. We have uh, we have we call them um, here to hear huddles. Like like I'm here oh. to hear you. You know, I, here to hear huddles. And you're talking to guys from Australia, South Africa, Poland, Scotland, uh, Denmark you know, all English speaking currently, um, we do have some, uh, we do have a lot of people where English is not their first language, but they at least can speak English, but you get on and you, and you start talking about your life and, and what you're struggling with and what's going well and what you're grateful for. And it's just incredible to see 
the the commonality, like the the union of us as human being men, right? Like there's just yeah. there have been some incredible moments of just realizing we're all the same and we're all going through the same stuff, no matter what country we live in or what our culture is. It's it's pretty cool to have this universal kind of connection worldwide. And we've seen that happen uh, on the platform, which has been awesome. So that's some of the stuff that's happening on the on the app. Uh, but we also do in-person events, um, retreats. The retreats are kind of the ma- my main area of focus. That's something I've been doing for a couple of years now. Uh, small groups, and we've started to do some larger groups. Um, but those have just been incredible uh, transformational experiences. So that's kind of a high level what, what's going on with the Brotherhood. So how many, I, I know you guys, they're not called members, brothers. How many brothers are currently involved in the organization right now? Uh, as far as leadership or membership? Membership. So we have um, over 7,000 members on the app currently, wow. uh, which l- literally quadrupled in the last few weeks. Uh, we've just had like this explosive phase of growth <laughs> and uh, it's it's been a lot to keep up with, but it's been exciting. Um, clearly the message is resonating. People want and need something like this. And so that's been really validating, which is awesome. Um, but we also have what's called the, the here oath. And that is the oath that starts off with this message of, I, I vow to be my brother's keeper. Like I am my brother's keeper and I'm going to watch out for my fellow brothers. And when I'm struggling, I'm going to reach out. I'm not going to do the stereotypical suffer in silence thing that's that's the how the oath begins and then it goes into i'll be there for my brothers and also when i'm struggling i will reach out like i'm not going to do the suffer in silence thing that we're often conditioned to do um so that's you know and there's a bunch more great stuff about the oath so the oath we've had i think over 14,000 people sign that oath uh including a lot, a lot of our supporters are women and they and they will maybe like buy apparel or sponsor their husbands to do stuff or encourage them to join or whatever so we've got, we've got a strong uh female support group as as well which is awesome and many of them have signed the oath as well just to show their their support to the cause so that's been really cool I, I know I have. I know I'm a part of the Here Brotherhood, and I signed the oath and bought some apparel, and I, I'm as involved as I can be. I see you, you on there all the time. Holy smokes, yeah. you are you are super involved. I'm like, it, that's a full time job <laughs> in itself. You know, it is. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it, and it's it great is. to see. What are some of the stigmas that are surrounded around men? Why Why do you feel that us as men? feel that we need to suffer in silence. Like we just can't be vulnerable or transparent about what's going on in our lives. It's such a good question. And I think there's a a lot of ways to approach that, uh, the answer, but I think, I think one of the main things, and, uh, I, I probably am getting this from like some of Brene Brown's research. Uh, it's around men's struggle with, uh, shame and shame being connected to this idea of weakness like that is the toughest thing for men is to admit any kind of weakness or vulnerability. And yet it's the very thing that prevents us from having deeper connection, right? Like if, if I'm just going to pretend that I'm good and that I'm strong and I'm solid and whatever, 
but inside I've got these wounds, uh, maybe from trauma, maybe just insecurities, maybe fears. And if I can never feel like I can express those, they just, they just suppress. It's this suppression. And, and, And what happens when you suppress something, it depresses, like we get depressed or we get angry or whatever the, the emotion is that we start to uh, bottle up. And then we have no outlet. There's, there's nowhere where we feel like we can open up and share and process in a healthy way. Um, healthy processing of these things is, is so important, and it's something that we're not taught to do. A lot of times the message that we get as men is that you have to just suck it up or... Uh, you know, men don't cry. Uh, we're just taught to suppress. We're taught to um, conform to this sort of ideal of what it means to be strong and what it means to be masculine. Uh, that is, in my opinion, it's false and it's unhealthy. Um, and I, I think when we see people actually be vulnerable, uh, w- oftentimes we acknowledge that as an act of courage and, and it shows strength actually to be able to be open and real and vulnerable. Like w- I think in our current society, uh, in our current culture, there's more of a respect and admiration for that, which I think is a healthy uh, transition from how things used to be. <laughs> so I, I've, I'm seeing that shift happening uh, and it's happening on LinkedIn. It's happening on other social channels. It's for sure happening in our community because that's what it's all about and it's awesome and so healing and liberating to go into a space like that and to be able to say i'm struggling with this or that or whatever it is and to have a whole brotherhood chime in and say i know exactly what that feels like and i've been there too or i'm going through the same thing and we realize we're not alone in the struggle and that by itself is such a a balm it's such a comfort it's such a strength and and there's strength in numbers. And, you know, you and I know each other. You know my story. I struggled with alcoholism for a very long time and never really yeah. understood why. And not until I became vulnerable and said, I need help, did I understand where everything was coming from. I mean, we we all live with generational trauma, deep down traumas that, that we don't even know about until we do. You know, and we, we block so much out and hold so much in that it it causes a wall to where you can't even see clearly you know I, mm-hmm. I think the majority the majority of men that suffer in silence don't even know why they're suffering they get angry they get depressed and, and really don't know why and not until we can reach out to a community or get get the help or the understanding that we need can we take that wall down to be able to live in freedom you know it was it was so there was so much i felt so much better after understanding why I chose to get blackout drunk when I did, right? It was just me masking pain. And then, and then it's identifying the pain and where it comes from. And it's such a relief once you start doing that. And I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I think that the world is a good place. I think there are a lot of good people out there. And I think that social media projects a narrative that the world is, is crazy. And it, I mean, it is chaotic in some places and some areas, but I think there are more good people out there that want to help than we think. And I love, I love to hear brotherhood. What, what are some of your goals for the future? So uh, I just first wanted to acknowledge what you shared, Ray, about a lot of times we don't even know what's going on inside, right? And, but, but yet we just feel a need to escape, 
or to, mm-hmm. to run away or to self-medicate or whatever. And awareness is a huge part of the healing process. And it's a lot of what we sort of encourage people to do is like take a moment for some self-reflection. A lot of what the work that we try to do is to help with self-awareness. And there's a tendency for us to want to just numb out or escape from the pain or discomfort that we feel day in and day out. But when we take some time to actually go inward and to reflect and to, in healthy ways, like do some self-evaluation and do some journaling and do some meditation, we can start to identify where those points are and heal from them. Like literally do the work to heal and to grow and to let go of the false narratives that so many of us hold on to, the false beliefs deep down that we have that maybe we're not uh, worthy of belonging or that we're not, um, that if, if people knew this or that about me, that I would be rejected and I would be unworthy of being accepted and unworthy of belonging and unworthy of love. And that is a painful thing to carry. Uh, but when you can realize that you are still worthy of love and belonging in spite of the mistakes you've made or the struggles that you have or whatever, I mean, that's liberating. Like you said, it's freeing. Um, and, and then we find healing. And so thank you for sharing that. I just wanted to like, re-emphasize that uh, through your story. And I have similar types of uh, experiences that, I, that I've been through um, that were very liberating when I came through the other side and realized I didn't have to be stuck in the cycle of shame. Um, so to your question about the future <laughs> uh, of, of here, so currently we are, we are working on um, really protecting the safe space that we've created. Uh, that has been a little bit of a challenge with the hyper growth that we had recently. Uh, I think people just go, oh, this is like a social platform and, and maybe don't fully realize like this is a very intentional space. And it's, it's not the same as Facebook. It's not the same as Instagram or whatever else. And so we've been working hard to make sure that that's really clear. Like the reason we're here is for support and growth and strengthening and and a safe space where you can be open and vulnerable. So we've been doing some work on that with that growth of still, you know, keeping those guardrails up and maintaining the purpose. Um, and then there's a lot of exciting things that we're planning uh, in the future, including some uh, incredible retreats that are bigger scale than what we've done in the past. Uh, the first one is coming up in April in Arizona. And then we're, there's talks of all kinds of different locations and different experiences. And I, I won't get too much into that because it's all still pending, but there's some really cool stuff on the horizon around that. It, it's all very near and dear to my heart. And as you already know, anything I can do to, to help out and just be involved, just let me know. Now that we talked about the present and the future, I, I want to go back and I want to hear all about your story okay. and what led you to where you are today. Because uh, you have sure. a very... You have a very uh, diverse background. You've done a lot of things. And how did all of that lead to the Here Brotherhood? What was your influence yeah. in life? What was your identity like? Where, where did it all start? Yeah, no, thanks. That's uh, There's a lot we could dive into there, but I'll try to give the high level. Um, so growing up in Salt Lake City, I, I was really um, drawn to the visual arts. I always just loved doing art. 
but I never imagined I could figure out how to have a career as an artist. Uh, and when I w- was in college, um, I was trying all kinds of different majors and different classes and just, I kept taking these art classes on the side, like a hobby. And I finally just realized like, why am I resisting this? I don't know where it's going to lead, but I'm just going to embrace that this is something that I love to do and I'm just going to lean into it. So I got into the arts program, uh, down at BYU and about a year into that program, you know, I learned all about this whole field that I wasn't very familiar with, uh, only vaguely familiar with, which was graphic design. And I got really deep into that. Uh, and, and just it, to me, it was this perfect, like overlap of, I can have a career like that's, you know, going to be reliable and I can bring this creative, you know, visual art, uh, thing. I can bring that all together into a career. And so it just, it was really exciting to me. Of course, since then I've met many very successful fine artists and all kinds of different artists that have figured it out. And I'm like, that's awesome. I just, I, I couldn't see it at the time working out, but I'm, I'm very grateful. I got into the graphic design program though, cause it, it was, it was kind of a new love that I hadn't discovered yet, just understanding typography and how to create visual systems and all kinds of cool stuff that I, you know, it's, it's everywhere, but you don't really realize what goes into it until you start to study the, the discipline. And so I got super into that. And then um, that career just took me to places that were really interesting and dynamic and diverse. Uh, I, I did an internship out in New York City um, I worked for a few years in Salt Lake City at a, at a great studio and then moved out to New York uh, for a, a different job and worked out in New York for about, we thought we'd be there maybe a year or two. And, and we stayed for seven years because wow. uh, we just kind of fell in love with it. And, and there were great opportunities out there for my career. And so worked out there. We, we, we moved there with a 10 month old baby, which was crazy <laughs> moving into mm-hmm. an apartment in, uh, Inwood was our first neighborhood. And then we moved over to Washington Heights and, uh, and we had two more kids while we were there. So we, that's really where we kind of grew our family. Um, and, and we didn't have a backyard and we didn't have a uh, laundry in our apartment. You know, you were taking the elevator to get the laundry done. We, we didn't have a car. We were just taking the, the bus and the subway everywhere. And it was, it was such a cool experience though, to get to live there. And, and the community was so strong there too. Um, cause a lot of people are there without family support, you know, they're out there kind of going after their dreams, but they're often, they don't have like a tight network of, of people, but you create it while you're there. And so we just, we made some lifelong friends there and that community, and, and this ties to the brotherhood, right? Like the connections that you make when you're out there, uh, kind of figuring it out, you know, you, you create some deep bonds. And so, um, from New York, we moved out to the Bay Area um, with an agency I was working with at the time, a branding agency. And then I transitioned into a, a tech job, which, you know, out in the Bay Area, everything is like startup, 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 you know, tech, tech, mm-hmm. tech. And I was sort of like, oh, man, this is a bit much. <laughs> and then I ended up I ended up uh, getting a job at a tech company. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> it just it was hard to avoid. Right. But, uh, but I loved it. I mean, it, it, it was probably the most challenging, um, part of my career though. I had some of the highest highs and some of my lowest lows at that job. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was incredible. Uh, it was an incredible opportunity. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I've been like vague about where this was. The, the company I was working for was DoorDash, which is now a household name, right? Mm-hmm. But when I when I joined, I had I had barely heard of it to be honest. Even living and working in the Bay Area, you know, in Palo Alto it was big, but in the city it was sort of the other brands were were commonly known. You know, DoorDash was sort of uh, uh, the underdog in the space. Um, and so I, I, it was, it just clicked when, uh, you know, I saw the job description, I met the hiring manager, we clicked. Um, but then, man, I, I went through about five different bosses during my time there. Mm-hmm. Some were really great relationships. Some were really difficult relationships for me. Um, those were some of the highs and lows was, was that relationship with, uh, with my boss or manager. And, um, there's been some interesting studies about that, like, that relationship has a higher impact on our mental well-being than virtually any other relationship in our lives. Like that's it's pretty wild. It's um, it's also a disruption to the company culture too because everybody comes in yeah. with different tactics, styles. Huh. Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's that, interesting. That much change, there, there was a lot of volatility with that much change. Um, but there was also a ton of growth and a and a ton of excitement as we were just growing and and you know, we got to work on the brand and update the logo and create the whole visual system before it blew up and became this household name. And so it was a really cool opportunity to get to see our work just everywhere. You know, it was, and then COVID hit. I mean, and it was every restaurant in the country was like, we need to be on DoorDash. And Man. we literally, one day we had to, our, our boss, well, our CEO, Tony Shu, he, he had put this announcement out to all employees, the whole company. He said, everybody needs to stop what you're doing, stop your regular job and help us get restaurants on the platform because we wow. couldn't keep up with the influx. It was wild. So I remember learning how to do that and like <laughs> trying to get restaurants on. It was it was just crazy. So that was an amazing uh, career experience. Again, some highs and lows. And some of those lows, though, really drove me to figure out some really important things. Um because it's, it's when we are confronted, when we are challenged, uh, we, we have some choices there uh, to figure things out. And um, I remember having one, um, probably like one of the worst meetings of my career. <laughs> mm-hmm. At one point during my time at DoorDash, I had one of like my worst um, like performance review type meetings. And I came home from that just totally depressed, totally down on myself, self-doubt, you know, creeps Mm. in. I'm like, am I even, is this even what I want to be doing? Am I even good at my job? You know, just all the questions were, were coming up that were pretty tough uh, for me to, to face. And I told my wife, uh, you know, what had happened at work. And and I just kind of like dumped everything on her, all of my insecurities, all of my fears, all of my frustrations, all of my worries. And thankfully, she's this amazing partner and woman that just allowed me to say all of that without freaking out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought like th- this might be stressing her out because here we are in one of the most expensive cities in the country, and my job feels like it's on thin ice. And we've got four kids at the time, you know, trying to raise a family. And so I dump all of this on her, and she just listens. And uh, when I'm finally done. She's like, can I say something now? And I was like, yes, of course. <laughs> and she she got this big smile on her face. And it was just this genuine, loving uh, smile. 
And she said, Mike, I actually think this is really great. I think this is a really good thing because it's going to push you and us to figure out what we really want to be doing with our lives. Like, what do you really want? Amen. And what do we really want? Right. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Um, and so what I thought was going to be a crappy weekend of like maybe looking for new jobs or like strategizing, like, okay, if we needed to move back to Utah or if we, whatever, right? Like I thought we were going to need to pivot. And instead we just got, we just like kind of blank slate. We were like, what if we could just take away all the constraints that we normally worry about and just said, could we give ourselves permission to kind of dream big right now and think, what do we really want to do? How do we really want to live our lives? What are the most important things in our lives? What are our core values? What are our priorities? Um, and just start there. And then we can figure out the logistics after, right? But like, let's figure out our purpose. And it led to this incredible um, weekend of just like, we got excited about sharing all this stuff and, and dreaming and, and imagining the possibilities. And I got back to work the next week, just like totally in a different mindset. And, and it, as it turned out, you know, I didn't get fired. It, it, it like, it all worked out. And I, and I actually went on to have some of my, my favorite moments of my job after that point. Like I, I got to do some of the, the best work of my career. I had some different bosses and, and some amazing relationships and like things just changed pretty dramatically. But if it weren't for that, that low point, I don't know that my wife and I would have had that like super important conversation and discussion. You know, when we get knocked out of our comfort, comfort zones, that's usually when we start to grow. And it seems like yeah. you were at that point, you know, you were holding everything in and you were just about to explode and you just released all of it wasn't trauma, but it's burden, right? You released all that burden yeah. and all that craziness and your wife accepted it, absorbed it. And gosh, something beautiful came out of it. So what an amazing story. And how long after that, uh, did you make your move back to Salt Lake city? Oh yeah. So th that was probably a, a year or two before we moved back. Uh, it was really COVID that kind of led to the, the possibility of, you, you know, working remote was suddenly, totally normal. Right. And so, oh, and we had just had our fifth child. Uh, our fifth child was a COVID baby <laughs> was born in July and March was when the, you know, the world shut down. So we had our, we had our COVID baby. Thankfully I got to be there at the hospital. Uh, that was, that was a real blessing, but yeah, it, it just became real apparent that we could move and be closer to family and maybe, a more affordable place and I could still keep the job that I had that I, at the time I was really uh, loving it at that point. And so we decided to come back to Utah and um, I don't know, I think it was several months after moving back. Uh, I decided to um, change things up and decided that my, my time had come to leave DoorDash. Um, and so I decided to, to put in my notice and for the first time ever in my life, in my professional life, I left a job without having the next job lined up. Ooh. So I, I was like, I'm just going to have a little breather, you know, and, and thankfully we had the financial means like enough of a runway 
that I could just take a little break. So I, I, I took a sabbatical from work and it was amazing for the first few months. <laughs> actually, I mean, it was a couple months actually. Uh, and then this was around the fall. Uh, so it was, you know, September, October. And then by the time we hit midwinter and after the excitement of the holidays, it's January and it's cold and I'm, and just day in and day out, I'm going, okay, what, what is, what am, what am I doing today? What is, what am I all about? What am I trying to create or be, or, you know, what's my purpose? Um, it was, it was quite disorienting to leave a career for, well, just to have this break, right? To, to leave, but everything that comes with your job, the sense of identity, the sense of progress, of purpose, the validation that you get, opportunities to lead. When you take all that away and you're just you and your family, I mean, that, that kind of shook me. Um, in terms of figuring out who am I and what, what am I all about and what are my priorities. And it was, it was kind of this ironic thing because we had done all that work while I was working. And then when I took the job away, I was like, whoa, I am out of balance again. <laughs> I, need mm-hmm. to, I need to do this all over again because I am in a funk. And what was interesting was without all of that distraction and all of the things that come with work, there were some things that just started to bubble up, uh, that started to surface, uh, things that I had been able to avoid or ignore for a long time. And some of these were difficult relationships, uh, difficult things from my past, um, things that I regretted or felt ashamed over or whatever. It was like that stuff was getting louder and louder in the space where I just had more room to hear it, you know, like I, I just wasn't so distracted from it. And then it was like this, this presence that I had been able to avoid. And now I had to face it. Uh, and, and it felt pretty terrible at the time, but in hindsight, uh, it allowed me to be able to have some breakthroughs and to find some healing, uh, and some growth from facing that stuff. Uh, and one of the critical components of that was actually attending a men's retreat where, and, it, and I was resistant to the idea of going to a retreat, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> um, I was like, I don't, I don't know. It sounds kind of weird. I don't know anybody there. I don't want to hear a bunch of dudes talking about their issues. You know, <laughs> I was just like, I was like, I don't know if that's for me, ironically. Right. And, uh, m- my wife happened to know someone who held these retreats. Um, his name is Brian Hurd. He's, he does awesome work. It's called the evolution project. And he knew that I had kind of been thinking about doing some type of men's work and helping people figure out their purpose because that was so important for me and my wife, which we had done a couple of years prior. And so he very uh, generously was like, come, t- come to my retreat and see what you think and see if this is the kind of thing that you want to be doing too. I love that you're feeling called to do this kind of work. It was just a really um, collaborative and open uh, minded approach to it, which I, which I was really grateful for. And so I went to this retreat. Um, there were things about it that I absolutely was blown away by. I mean, I just absolutely loved, uh, so many components of it. And one of the most critical moments for me was, uh, a breathwork session. So breathwork meditation was something that I was not familiar with. Uh, I had done different forms of meditation 
um, but I hadn't ever done this breathwork modality. And it, it was such an effective tool for me to be able to uh, release a lot of what I had been carrying, just to let it go. Um, and it, for me, it was a very powerful way to feel a deeper connection to my, uh, my spirit, my soul, you know, it, it was just, it was such an introspective, um, practice. And I felt like it just opened up this conduit to greater light and love and truth and healing. Um, I, I am religious. I felt like it was a, a way for me to connect more deeply with God mm. and I could just feel, um, this flood of, of love and, um, grace and acceptance in spite of my struggles, in spite of my shortcomings. Uh, and as soon as I could feel and receive that from, uh, from my higher power, I felt like then I could feel it for myself and I could feel it for everybody in my life. And it was just this abundance of, of love that was overwhelming. And as soon as I had that experience, I was like, I am 100% doing this more and sharing it with other people. And that's when I started getting into organizing and actually executing on, on doing men's retreats. And, and after doing men's retreats for several months, um, that's when I got connected to Justin and John, who uh, are my co-founders of the, the Here Brotherhood. They had already had this idea and kind of had branded it already. And then we got connected and it just was this perfect uh, mesh of different, you know, ways that we were approaching this work of helping, helping men to reconnect. Well, you know, I heard uh, when you started talking about um, the breath work, the meditation, your voice got a lot calmer. Like it, it was crazy. There, there was, there was a complete shift and I felt it. You know, I felt my heart rate slow down when you just started talking about it because you started speaking slower and I guess your mind went there because you started thinking about it. What are some of the things that you guys do at your retreats? Similar? Is it similar yeah. to what you went through? Yeah, no, there, there were components that I absolutely integrated into the retreats that, that we do now. Um, there's also the, the identity and purpose uh, work is what we call it, which was that exercise that my wife and I did from years ago, uh, I, I lead people through figuring out their core values, their guiding principles and their purpose. And that is a major component of the retreats, but we also do group discussions. Uh, we have experts come in and, and teach the, the, the men or instruct them in different things. Uh, we have life coaches come in and present, um, just concepts of how do we take ownership of our lives? How do we um, let go of the things that we don't have control of and recognize what we do? How do we um, manage uh, to overcome the false or limiting beliefs that we might have? How do we have breakthroughs? So we, we have like good instruction like that. Um, we've done some Tai Chi in some of the retreats, which has been incredible. Um, it really is the, they call it the internal martial art. Uh, and reconnecting with that inner child through the practice of Tai Chi. I mean, just some incredible things that happen with that practice. It's, it's the meditation that involves the movement of the body as well. And there's this beautiful connection that happens there. 
um, we do breath work. Um, and we usually do some kind of adventure, like, a you know, we'll go and, and do a hike or we'll go do a, um, a swim at the crater in Midway or, uh, in some cases we've done cold plunge events and integrated the cold plunge. Um, so yeah, we've done zip lining before, you know, things like that. Um, and that's, it's kind of funny because when I was first imagining like what would a men's retreat look like, I was really heavy on like the adventure side of it. I was like, oh yeah, we'll just go do all this cool, fun, exciting stuff. And going to my friend Brian's retreat, there was quite a lot of the, you know, internal work. Uh, and, and I actually saw how valuable that was. And I was like, I, I loved that that's what was modeled because, um, it's definitely a, a major component of how I structure, um, our retreats. I think connection to our higher power or to the universe, depending on, on who you are, I'm religious too. So my connection to God is one of the most important things in my life. You know, I have to begin my day in gratitude, connecting to him because he's the reason I feel that I'm able to do the work that I do. You know, I, I love that, that you have firsthand experience in everything that you do. You said a, a key statement when you left, uh, DoorDash, you know, your identity validation, everything was attached to that. And there are so many people, uh, nowadays, especially, you know, I, I speak to a lot of people in some of the consulting work I do that their person, their purpose is attached to their identity, mm -hmm. you know, and then what happens to your whole world if that thing goes away and, and yeah. I get it, you know, having, having your purpose tied to your family is, is, is a key component, key component. However, when you think about family and when I think about family, I think about the world, you know, I think about how I can serve others. How can I make this world become my, my family? Cause in essence, yeah. you know, as far as my beliefs go, we are, we're all families. We're all brothers and sisters. However, uh, tying your purpose, tying our purpose to, uh, physical things to, to things that are of this world are one of the biggest reasons a lot of people struggle to find their identity and suffer through depression because those things do go away and they shift and they change and they really play with your emotions. You know, however, if you are in, in the life of service to where some of these things don't matter, and I know it's easier said than done, then it, it just releases so much tension and, and, and you just live in a, in a better, in a better world. Oh, absolutely. Now, I, I love that you, I love that you shared all of that because I, I have um, a similar approach to that idea, but I, I tend to, uh, I use slightly different terminology. <laughs> um, to the, the, the way that, um, that I kind of play back what you just shared is the idea of what do we attach our sense of self-worth to, our sense mm -hmm. of worth. Because if our sense of worth is, is attached to anything that is temporary, that is external, that is physical, um, we are setting ourselves up for a crisis when that thing changes because the, there are things that we can't control. And including, I appreciate that you even mentioned including family because our family dynamic will change uh, mm -hmm. um, and, we, and we don't always have total control over that. Um, even just kids leaving the house at one point. If, if my sense of worth comes from just you know, playing with my kids or something, and then they, they grow up and they leave. I'm like, how do I manage that? How do I deal with that? Right. Cause, um, and then the same is true with career. If my sense of worth is attached to the job that I have, and then if I get let go from that job, 
how devastating is that to me? Because that's where I thought my sense of worth resided, right? And so I, I love that you talked about this idea of like, we have to get to the core, like the, the, our true sense of worth and purpose. And that is something that nobody can touch. Nothing can touch uh, if we're at the core, if we're at the truth. So As thank a, you for that. You got it. As Jerry said earlier, amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. Now, you have a lot of things going on in your life. How do you maintain balance? How do you keep it all together? Uh, such a good question and and very timely because I feel like I I am I have recently been out of balance. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and so I appreciate that because it's a good reminder. Um, no, there there are the sort of daily um, rituals, right, that help us stay grounded and stay connected. Um, particularly the thing that I felt the most constrained recently has been just quality time with my wife, my, with my wife and kids. And so that's something that I am being more intentional and mindful about, which is, okay, you know, dinner time, this is time for us to all be together and to connect, uh, with, with my wife, we kind of set a goal for this year. It was actually more around Christmas. We were like, what, you know, what should we do for Christmas? And we just had this idea. We were like, what if our gift to each other was for the, for the next year, for 2024, every month we're going to have a theme and do activities and spend time together around that theme. And so January, the theme is rest, <laughs> which is perfect. <laughs> and so and so, so far we've done a few different activities and, you know, whether it's like a date or just something we do during the day when we drop off, uh, our, our youngest to preschool, you know, we got a couple hours there where it's, it's just us, uh, without kids at home. And so we've done like, uh, you know, a meditation thing. We went and did a yoga class together. Uh, there's this, this Himalayan salt cave where you just go and sit in this really cool calm, peaceful space. And it's all surrounded with this like Himalayan salt and they like spray it in the air. And it's just this very Zen kind of experience. Um, one day we just took a nap. We were like, that's how we're going to, you know, we're going to rest by just coming back home, reading a book, sleeping, and then we'll go pick up our daughter from school, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, each month we're figuring that out and some things are going to be more uh, active and fun and some things are going to be more kind of calm and healing and all the good things. So that's, that's one fun thing that we, that we cooked up for this year of how to like maintain the balance. That's amazing. Well, if you ever have any questions on any of that, you know, balance, finding balance was one of the first things that I worked at because I mean, my whole mission was, was to serve service to all. And, you know, that starts at home because of course my representation as we progress in life is going to be my family and, and how you treat your family and how you act behind closed doors is basically who you are and how you act everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so next question, um, so we live in a, in a pretty crazy world. It's, it's, you know, there's a bunch of distractions. It can get dark out there. Sometimes it's easy to become overwhelmed and disconnected with all the darkness and noise around us. How do you manage to stay grounded and connected to your sense of purpose amidst all this noise? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me, uh, mindfulness and meditation have been such an important tool. Um, 
I, I have, I have always um, used and implemented tools like um, prayer and reading um, inspiring words, uh, whether that comes from scripture or just inspiring, motivating books and, you know, different resources like that. So that has, that's, I feel like that's been sort of a, a norm in my life for many years, obviously times where I am not as consistent as others. But when I started to get into meditation in a way that is, I feel like it's somewhat unique because a lot of meditation that I hear out there, it's, it's very focused on just like calming the mind and becoming the observer of your thoughts. And that is all really beneficial. And there's, there's a lot of value in that. But what took meditation to the next level for me was realizing that it was a way to reconnect with, with God and with that light um, and, and have a space, a, a reconnection with that higher power that dispels the darkness, that helps you discern, that helps you find clarity. Because that's what light does, right? Light mm-hmm. helps you see things more clearly. It helps you discern uh, and it brings warmth. And I feel the warmth uh, in my practice, in my meditation practice. And so it, to me, it's really not as much about the mind as it is reconnecting in the heart, which um, in my mind is if we think, you know, you hear the, the body is a temple, mm-hmm. what's at the center of this, of this temple? It's the Holy of Holies. What's at the center of my temple? It's the heart, it's the soul. And how often do I actually go there and spend time there? Uh, not very often, if I'm honest, wow. <laughs> but when, when I do a meditation or a mindfulness practice and I intentionally enter into that Holy of Holies within, I am filled with light in that space. And it's just a beautiful, I mean, I just got the chills just sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's a beautiful I practice. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And I, I, I have to share my routine uh, in listening to all of that. So I, I too was inconsistent for a very long time when it came to, to prayer. And, and I realized that the easiest way to do it was just to roll out of bed straight onto my knees and pray. And so since March of 2019, I don't stand up, I don't get up, I don't even touch my feet. I literally roll off the edge of my bed and I get on my knees and pray. And then right right next to my bed is a, uh, a meditation pillow. And as soon as I pray, I sit down, whether it's for five minutes, whether it's for 10 minutes, sometimes it's 20 minutes and I just quiet my mind and I listen, right? Mm. And, and so that is... That, that, kind of it helps me every single day it helps me you know and 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 like you said a lot of people talk about meditation and quieting the mind which is important it's it's very it's good for you it's it's rewarding mm-hmm. it's it's fulfilling but i love listening and i love waiting to hear that still voice whether mm-hmm. you know it's me or one of my seven personalities in the back of my head talking to me i, I love listening to it every morning because you know, I, I know that it's going to direct me on my way. And sometimes I don't hear anything. Sometimes my mind goes completely quiet and, and I know I'm still fulfilled because I needed that space for that reason. Either way, the light comes in. So I love that. And I thank you for sharing that. It's very, very similar to, to my beliefs and my thought process. Now, for my next question, what legacy do you hope to leave behind through uh, your purpose and the work that you do? Hmm, such a good question. Um, if, if I had to just 
off the cuff here, I would say I would love to leave a legacy of love, of healing, of compassion, of kindness, of strength, of acceptance. Um, I would love to, um, I would love to live the kind of life that those who I interacted with felt a little, um, better because of our connection, because of our interaction, what, in whatever way that might look like, uh, maybe we had some really profound, amazing experiences together. Oh, I love that. Maybe it was just, oh, you know what? Just good, good vibes. I appreciate the good vibes, you know, like that's great too, whatever that may be. But I, I hope that I am living in such a way that I'm authentic and that I am a safe space, uh, for people to be able to be real with and to, and to be a shoulder for someone to lean on or to cry on. And also that I can feel safe to be open and lean on and cry on somebody else's shoulder. Um, cause those, those kinds of connections are, are deep. They, they go soul deep. And that's honestly kind of, that's, that's kind of what I live for right now. And that happens within the family and it happens outside of, of the family. It's, it's the human family, as you said, Ray, like I, I see it the same way. We're all brothers and sisters. I love that. I got chills just hearing that authentic and safe space going soul deep. I haven't heard that before. I like it. I'm going <laughs> to, I'll use it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to go soul deep, man. I can't wait to meet you in person. Um, <laughs> so now many people are struggling out there to find their purpose or meaning in their lives. Is there some advice you could give someone who's searching for their purpose? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I've, I mean, I literally have like a whole a whole program like worksheet to go through to help people figure this out. But I think the condensed version, I, I have a few ways into this question because it's not just one way in for everybody. And so one of the ways in is to just assess what brings you the greatest sense of fulfillment when you are doing what, what brings you that greatest sense of joy, of fulfillment, of excitement and can you lean into that more? Can you find what the purpose is within that? And sometimes that aligns with your, you know, your natural strengths and interests and desires. And so you, you can unpack that just by asking that question. Another way I like to go into this is sometimes it is our greatest challenges, our greatest um, maybe disappointments or failures or uh, the you know, the, the greatest adversarial forces that we've had to deal with in our lives, sometimes those forge our purpose um, on the other side of it, right? Uh, you, you talk to guys like, like one of my co-founders, Justin, he went through some incredible darkness to the point where he thought of ending it all, you know, taking his own life. And he, and he got through that. And now he is such an advocate for suicide prevention and awareness and mental health and con- reconnecting. You know, he, he talks about how he's never felt so alone as that moment at that time in his life. And now that's his mission. He's like, I don't want anyone out there to feel that alone. Like I did, you know, and we can prevent that through connection, through brotherhood. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of examples of people that have been through really difficult, challenging things. And on the other side of it, they find this is my purpose now because it qualified them 
to be able to speak to those things with authenticity and true empathy. Uh, and so it, it becomes a superpower. So that's wow. another way in, another way into purpose. And there's probably a couple others I could throw out there, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. We'll save it for our next interview. <laughs> awesome. Part, part, part two. <laughs> so now if our guests and listeners want to get to know a little more about you and, and the work you do and, and the Hear Brotherhood, is there a website they could go to to connect? Yeah. So we've got the the app, which is, it's called the Hear Brotherhood. It's on, it's on Google Play. It's on uh, the, the Apple Store. So you can find that. And it's spelled H-E-A-R-E. That's here. So it's the combination of the spellings of I'm here, like I'm present and I hear you. I'm listening. Um, we also have the website, uh, herebros.com where you can find a bunch of information about what we're doing there. And we're on pretty much all the social channels as well. And then, uh, my wife and I also are doing, um, some similar work. We do some couples events. My wife does women's retreats and, uh, that is called the light in us.org. So that's, that's pretty much all the places you can find us. And I'm on LinkedIn too. That's probably where I'm most active of any social channel. Just Michael Allen on LinkedIn. Very good. And I'll attach um, uh, connections to these shows and or to the websites and your LinkedIn profile to awesome. our show notes. The light within us. That's pretty awesome. Well, it was great having you on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm uh, sorry we had some technical issues, but really, really appreciated the the conversation and the thoughtful questions. I just loved hearing about your journey as well and uh, could relate with so much of it. So thank you. And and I'll, I'm doing a keynote, right, with Here Brothers here, I believe, on the 25th. So if anybody wants to tune into that, you know, check it out. Would and, love that. Yeah, and, and I look forward to seeing you soon, Mike. Thanks again for joining us today. Okay, thank you so much. Have a great one. Balanced Purpose Podcast was created and hosted by me, Ray Trevino, and is produced and edited by Jerry Forbeck. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Check us out at balancedpurposepodcast.com and on Instagram at balancedpurposepodcast. Remember, finding your purpose is a journey, not a destination, and it takes time and effort to achieve balance. Make it a great day.